Church, it's good to be back, and I'm excited to preach today. I was, uh, we were swimming in South Carolina, and um, Merrill's Inlet is where we were, and having a good old time. We looked over, and they, they fish off the shore there, and somebody was struggling pulling something in, and we walked over there, and they pulled in a, a shark that's about four and a half, five feet, and I was telling my brother, I had just preached a sermon you know, shark-infested waters don't go swimming with sharks. And my older brother, as an older brother would do, he said, you ought to go back and tell your congregation how the pastor doesn't listen to his own sermons, you know. Um, but I have a lot to share. I have a lot on my mind. In fact, next week, I didn't share this during the announcements time, but what I'm going to be preaching on what it means to be born again, uh, to be born of the Spirit, uh, not just believing intellectually, but being given the new nature of God and, and being a person of the Spirit. But as we begin today, you know, I had this on my mind because we were resting and I was reflecting on a lot of things and what I wanted to speak about and preach about. One of the things I want to talk about is distractions. Uh, We are people that are easily distracted. Um, A pastor friend last year was sharing about some issues he went through last year. He was getting so busy doing ministry, making calls. He came home. He was supposed to help cook dinner on the grill. He went down and turned the gas on and was cleaning the grill got another phone call and walked off and then came back and it had been a while and he hit start and didn't think that gas had been running all that time and boom! And it made him realize how busy he was and how distracted uh, he became. Now we all deal with different kinds of distractions. Um, maybe you, you have that craving, you want cookies, you put cookies in the oven, you get the phone call, the kids, all kinds of things and before long the, the buzzer has gone off or you smell smoke and the cookies are burned, you don't get to enjoy the cookies. So there's all kinds of things that can pull our attention away. And oftentimes, distractions lead to injuries. Maybe you remember this. Uh, did you hear about the lady who was walking in the mall, texting, and walked right into the water fountain? I mean, she was embarrassed. This is real. This really happened. The security camera called it. She did an interview later. And she, she was not only embarrassed, but she was saying, you know what, it could have been something worse. And she said, I'm actually doing the interview to tell people, be careful when you're texting, not just to be texting and walking. And you can do a search. There's all kinds of stories like this. There was some workers working, and they removed a manhole cover. And they went back to the truck to get some cones to put around the manhole. And in the meantime, some teens come walking by. They're texting, and one of the teens fall into the manhole. The real thing, she got a cut on her back doing that. There's all, it's gotten, it was so bad 10 years ago that an article came out about needing to put pads on lamp poles in England. Um, so I came across this article uh, several years ago, and the article said that researchers found almost two-thirds, 62% of Brits concentrate so hard while texting that they lose their peripheral vision. They're so focused on this that they don't see what's around them. And 44% of those um, surveyed wanted pads placed on lampposts to protect them while texting. So instead of stop texting, they wanted to put pads on lampposts. The study found that busy streets were the worst for walk and text accidents. The research showed that Brick Lane in East London was the top spot for texting injuries. And now Brick Lane has been made the country's first safe text street with brightly colored padding. Now, this article is a little old now, but uh, I'm not sure if those are still there. I would think maybe you should educate people not to text and walk. 
But church, I truly believe that we are dealing with increased and intensified distractions in our culture. We would agree that our phones can consume too much of our time. Social media distracts us from things that we need to focus on. Now, my job as a pastor is not to keep you from walking into a lamppost, per se, while texting. Um, Now, I don't want you to do that. I don't want you to fall into a manhole or anything like that. But my objective as a pastor is to awaken God's people to what is distracting us. To think about, what am I doing that is hindering my spiritual peripheral? And see, one of the things I teach my kids is to be aware of your situation. I think what we need today is spiritual situational awareness. And when we are focused on the right thing, it doesn't blur the sides. It actually allows us to see more clearly everything. When we are focused on the things that we are called to focus on, we can see more clearly and not be distracted by the things that could sneak up and hurt us. So some of the things we're dealing with are not not only harmful, but I would call them fatal distractions for Christians. We live in a fallen world filled with temptations. I call them distractions. But the good news is that Jesus has not left us without a way of dealing with these ongoing issues. First, we have the Holy Spirit who has come to dwell with us. He teaches us. He gives us discernment. He leads us. We have the Holy Scriptures to learn what God teaches us on how to live as Christians. We have the church body to help lead us in the right direction to disciple us. So we have all these things. So we're going to jump right into the Scripture today. It's pretty simple, two verses. We're going to look at what Paul has to say to the Corinthian church, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 12 through 13. Originally, I just had verse 13. And I feel like Paul and God wants us to look at this first verse here because it sets the tone for what's coming next. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he falls. I mean, he's speaking to a church. He's speaking to Christians. He's saying, take heed. This is a warning for us as Christians. You think you stand, take heed. You can still fall. I know many Christians who have not only thought they were able not to fall, fall into it. In fact, about the time someone boasts in how good they are, they fall. So we must be aware of how we're living as Christians. I knew a a, a leader in a church years ago who ended up having an affair. He went through a healing process and thought he'd arrived at a place where he was still good. But Satan found another way in and he confessed and shared at a men's meeting how he thought he had improved. Uh, But he found there was another temptation that pulled at him, and he began gambling, and his wife had called him doing these things. And so we must take heed lest we fall. And then Paul says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way of escape that you may be able to endure the temptation. Church, let's pray together this morning. Father in heaven, we thank you for time um, to sit at your feet, to hear from heaven, to hear from Jesus. And Lord, my prayer today is simply this. Help us focus on the main things. Help us live a life that is focused on Christ. And Lord, help us to cut away the distractions that ultimately can lead to our death, our spiritual death, and even physical death in this world. 
We pray that you anoint your words as they go forward. Let us receive them in our heart on good ground. Lord, I pray that you give us the spiritual ears to hear what you would say to us. Let us have spiritual eyes to see the kingdom. Lord, let those who need to be born again be born again by the Spirit, that we believe and we pursue you. And Lord, that we begin to be a people that don't just um, straggle behind, that we are chasing you, that we want to be close to you and that we lead others to you. In Jesus' name, amen. The first thing, church, I want you to see is that Paul mentions these common things, common to man, common distractions. If you guys would scroll forward, there's no temptation that has overtaken you that is not common to man, meaning that the things that we're dealing with, it's not something odd. These are things that everyone deals with. Everyone deals with them. And spiritually speaking, we live in a culture that has many things tugging for our attention and our affections. So let's think about this. We, when you hear about a pastor, these megachurch pastor guys, they tip, typically fall by the same way. You hear that they've fallen into a sexual temptation and sin or money. There's some kind of a money scandal. You don't hear that megachurch so-and-so pastor guy was kicking ten dogs. You don't hear of those weird stories like that because the things we deal with are pretty common. The temptations are regular throughout humanity. They're the same things that we deal with in the church. And sometimes those temptations look like work. I think work can be a temptation for us to spend too much time there and take us away from God and the family. Our schedules have people running all over the place. Um, and not taking time to spend with God. Now, I shared this before we went on vacation, that I am for recreation. I'm for getting away and having time. This year is the first time I've seen people miss Sunday after Sunday after Sunday that used to be regular attenders, that they're saying they want to spend time with family. But what they mean is that they're trying to make up for overworking during the week, and they say they're spending time with family. They're going on vacation, but they're really vacationing from God. That we should be here. This should be a primary time for us. Our schedules can be a fatal distraction, a perversion. We live in a perverted culture. That we would lessen the penalties for sex offenders is fascinating. That people that would uh, commit pedophilia, that there was a state that made the penalty for those things less, that we're opening our society and welcoming perversion and attraction toward children and saying it's okay. These are sins and distractions in the world. Drugs, relationships, activities, entertainment. Even in the church, we have distractions that keep us from pursuing the mission. I've been doing ministry over 18 years now, and I've watched it. I know what I like, I know what I want to achieve, I know what God has called me to, but what we deal with the most is that people that worship nostalgia. There's people that have said, I remember when God used to move decades ago. If God is not moving in your life right now, something is wrong. It wasn't that He just moved decades ago, it's that He is still moving today if you're willing to be obedient to Him, but we have this sense of nostalgia. Remember when we first started coming here, somebody said, we used to run 300 people at this church. And I looked it up, because I want to know, because every time anybody has ever said that, I look it up and I was like, what are they saying? So the most this church on an average attendance was a little over 250 years and years ago before the bust. 
And what happens is if you have a good Sunday and there is 300 people here, then everybody locks that in their mind and they think that's the best time ever. Uh, two years ago, we had an Easter service, 199 people here. Guess what? I don't tell people, we have 199 people in the church. But people think that way and they think to the past, oh, this was a great time. Yes, it was. But there's a great time happening right now. If you're obedient to God and allowing Him to move in your life, preference in the church can be a fatal distraction for the mission of the church. Tradition. I want the tradition more than the mission of God. Technology. I can't stand technology. Now, on one side, I get upset at it. I love streaming, by the way. Like, that is awesome technology. That you don't have to watch commercials and that you can watch a show. I love that kind of stuff. But that you feel, we feel like we have to do technology. And it can be a temptation where we want to have all the technological things. You know, I get texts from Verizon. You're uh, available to upgrade to a $1,000 phone. And I was like, I want a flip phone. Can we go back to flip phone? It's pretty, pretty simple. Technology can be a distraction. I read an article just yesterday. The average user of a phone touches this device 2,500 times a day. That's average. That is not somebody that's actively on it, which is over 4,000 times. I, we touch this thing over 2,000 times a day. There's all kinds of things distracting us. Now, you might say some of those things are not really sins, yes? There are things that are not necessarily sins, but they can pull you away from God. They can distract your mind and devotion to God in subtle ways. They may seem innocent, but your devotion to them is not. And the path that they lead you down is unhealthy. Now, I've used this illustration before. I love carrot cake. Every year around my birthday, somebody makes me a carrot cake. And I'm not talking about they whip up some box and throw some icing on it. We're talking about real carrot cake. It kind of has raisins and real carrot in it. That way you feel healthy when you're eating. You can say, I ate some raisins and carrots today. You know, I'm kind of. So you get this big three-layer carrot cake. I love it. And I would get a slice. And when I get a slice of cake, it's not like this. It's like that. It's like a quarter, you know. And my kids gather around, they want some of this cake, they're drooling, and I say, look now, take it easy, it's my birthday, <laughs> you know, it's my birthday cake. But I've gotten to a place where I would almost eat that whole cake, because I didn't just get a slice, I got all the pieces that fell with it, the icing around it, you know, I had it all. But ultimately, that's not going to lead to my good at all. That's going to cause what? Diabetes. <laughs> it's not healthy for us. There's things that are neutral they're not necessarily sins, but we can make sins when we pursue them. I always thought it fascinating when God called the Israelites out of Egypt. He said, I'm going to give you this land, this promised land, flowing with what? Milk and honey. Sweet and fat. That's what God promised us. We're supposed to go into the promised land. He didn't say you're going to make a lot of money. He said there's going to be a lot of delicious food there. The problem is we, we fall into the trap of overeating, and the proverb speaks to this. It actually says, if you have found honey, eat only enough for you, lest you have your fill of it and vomit it. Meaning that honey is good, have some. Have some delicious food, but if you eat too much, it is destructive. Meaning that there's things that are not necessarily a sin that can become unhealthy and bad for you. So how do I determine if something is a fatal distraction? I really believe with all my heart, that most of us already know what's going on in our life that is pulling us away, that is a distraction for us. Like, I don't need to, to tell some guy, if you're married, you don't need to be flirting with other women on social media. 
you know you don't need to be doing that. Same thing for women. They know. That's why they do it in secret, because it's bad. It is not good. It leads to the wrong direction. Pornography today. People bust people doing pornography. Well, if it's okay, why hide it? They already know it's wrong. They have to do it while they're hiding and sneaky. People have to find it out. You've been running around with your kids. There's no time to rest and worship. You feel that anxiety. You feel those problems. The job that offers overtime. We keep working overtime. And, you know, I want to preface that with saying there was a time in my life that I went from not making a lot of money and just uh, working a few hours. So I was given a lot of overtime. And I loved it. In the post office, they had something called penalty time. It was double time if you worked over a certain amount of hours. So you didn't just get overtime. You got double time. And I was like, yes. But there was a time where it had to stop. And they'll pull you in and they just, it will take over your life because then you determine your budget based on overtime or double time, which is not normative. But we keep working overtime, but it's not to take care of our families, to cover all these toys we've bought. And this is how it works. This is taking place across the nation. It's taking place here because this is, Wyoming is a place of recreation. We love it. But you, you drive through, people got side-by-sides, four-wheelers, kayaks, canoes, uh, campers, boats, all these things. What happens is somebody graduates high school, they can go into coal industry, energy industry, oil, all these things, making really good money, but they have not been taught how to deal with that money. And then they want all the stuff, so they start buying all the stuff. But to pay the bills for the stuff, guess what? You've got to work more time and overtime and overtime and overtime. What happens when you work overtime? Well, you don't have time to use your stuff. And if you do decide to use it, it's on a holiday weekend or a weekend where you can get away and then you end up skipping church. It's just unhealthy spiritually all around that we're seeing these things take place. We know we're in this busy, busy cycle. I... um. I really believe one of the reasons we're seeing increase in anxiety, worry, and depression is because not only has our culture removed God from the public square for the most part, that we're just so busy. Did you know God from the beginning created a rest day for us? You're to work, yes, but you're to rest. And God is to be in that. So there's a season where you may be busy, but you have to have an end time for those things. We need true spiritual rest in Christ. Now, these things, again, they seem innocent, but they can become sinful as they pull you away from God. John Wesley, one of our theological fathers, wrote to his mother years ago asking her, what is sin? I love this robust definition. She says, his mom says this, whatever weakens your reason, impairs the tenderness of your conscience, obscures your sense of God, takes off your relish for spiritual things, Whatever increases the authority of the body over the mind, that thing is sin to you, however innocent it may seem in itself. Meaning at any given time, there's things that are innocent and simple, but they take power over your life. Church, I believe we're living in the age where many Christians have lost the relish for good, spiritual, holy things. It's like you're trying to beg people to come to church. But what has happened is we've lost the relish of what is good and holy. Entertainment and recreation has moved in and is obscuring our sense of God. God did not create us for Him to entertain us constantly. In fact, the way we determine a church today is if, is it going to entertain me? 
so what we have, we have these big shows and entertainment, but is anything going on beyond that? Is somebody believing in Jesus? Are they being discipled? But God is not trying to entertain us. He's trying to give us eternity. Entertainment or eternity. And I believe the church has entertained people into hell. But we want God's eternity. So we think about sin. James, James wrote about sin James chapter 4, 17. So we talk about the things we shouldn't do. There's things that we should do. I don't have the verse up here, guys, but I just hear. James 4, 17. Whoever knows the right thing to do and uh, doesn't do it for them is a sin. That means there's things that we are supposed to do as Christians. You know you're supposed to do them. If we don't do them, it is a sin. The good news, church, is that dealing with these things is not beyond your ability So our next thought here is not beyond your ability. Paul says this, God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. So in this, this text, we've come to a portion of scripture that's often been misquoted. And you'll hear people say this. I've heard it as a pastor. I've heard people say it for years. God will not give you more than you can handle. Just so you know, the Bible never says that. What it really says and what it teaches is you're going to get into some stuff over your head. You cannot handle it, but God can handle it. And when it comes to temptation, God has allowed for a way for you to get out. So you don't have to say, well, this is God get, you won't give me too much. He's going to give you some stuff, and you're going to go through some issues that you have to deal with. The good thing is that God can help you bear these problems, but he also makes a way for you to escape. So with truth be told, um, things that I deal with are more than I can handle. They really are. If you look at the scriptures, these things that these disciples and followers of God dealt with were more than you could deal with or I could deal with. I think about Daniel in the lion's den. Just knowing that the law was written, that if you pray to another God, you're going to be thrown to the lion's den. I can't handle that. I think we're going to see some stuff like that in our culture, but I cannot handle that on my own. I need God for that. Uh, Knowing that Daniel was arrested, and he knows what the penalty is. Are we ready to deal with that? And he was thrown into the lion's den. He, he couldn't deal with it, but God delivered him. The same thing with the three Hebrew boys. They were told to bow down to this golden idol, and they couldn't deal with what the, the ultimate consequence was. Breaking the law, not bowing down to this idol for Nebuchadnezzar meant being thrown to the furnace of fire. I mean, Nebuchadnezzar commanded this. And these guys said, you know what? We're not bowing. God can deliver us, but if he doesn't, we're still not bowing. And they they get thrown in. But God shows up and delivers. In fact, God shows up in the furnace with them. I think about Paul being arrested and beaten. And it wasn't just, you know, today somebody gets a little spanking. My parents abused me. Christians have been beat. You know, beat with a whip. You think about the apostle Paul, what happened to him. I can't deal with that. I would need God's presence with me. I need God with me to deal with those things. Being lost at sea? I mean, when you read where Paul was talking about, I've been lost at sea three times, and this is before they wrote Acts. This is before the situation happened in Acts. So he's been at sea with his shipwreck four times, and he says, I was lost a day and the night at sea. That means he's adrift on a piece of wood. And it'll make you appreciate living in Wyoming. It'd be like, I don't want to be anywhere near missionary where, where there's a sea. I'm not going to be lost at sea. But we can't deal with that stuff. But we need God involved to deal with these things. I love where Paul reminds us here, God is faithful. By the way, we have a faithful God. We are not always faithful, but God is faithful. And He will not let you be tempted beyond 
Your ability, what that really means is to say no to a sin. It means that every time you have a choice in your life between something that is good and negative, there's a crossroads and God allows you the way out. You think of Joseph. Potiphar's wife keeps tempting him to have sex. She wants, she wants him to lay with him. He's, that's his boss's wife. How do I deal with this? This is my workplace. How does he deal with it? He says no. He says no. And then she forces herself on him and he runs. And we need to be a people that start running from these temptations. That I really believe there's a place, there's a time where you're in a work, you need to pay your bills. But if there's a temptation that's trying to overtake you, that it'd be better to say no to the job. It'd be better to say, I don't need this job because I'd rather have some problems with my finances than fail in my faith. But we see the door. God allows us. It's not beyond your ability to say no. The issue is that we often make decisions or choose paths that we know are not right or God-honoring. We all see ways that we want that we think are going to bless us. King Solomon says this about choosing our own way. There's a way that seemed right to a man or a person, but its end is the way to death. There's things, we see the paths all the time, a, a career choice, what am I going to do, a decision, a moral issue, and a lot of times we're, we're looking at it, and God has not allowed a way where you can't. You have the ability by the Holy Spirit and God telling you what to do to say no to the wrong path because it leads to death. I've not met one person who goes down the wrong path, gets into a life of sin, and ends up better. Maybe you have, but I have not. So we want to see people go down the right path. So why do I call these things fatal distractions? Well, I've been around long enough to see where they lead. Uh, I've seen family members and friends who got caught up in drinking alcohol. So this has been an issue with the Church of the Nazarene uh, from coming from John Wesley. It's always been a no to alcohol from the beginning, from its inception. Now, why did they do that? Now, this was John Wesley's personal decision, but when the Church of the Nazarene was formed, it was formed in L.A. It was, they were ministering to people who were down and out living on the street, and they saw the destruction of alcohol in people's lives. They saw alcoholics. They saw people who were beating their families and abusing their kids and drink, wasting their money on this. They saw these things happening. I've seen this in people's lives. The problem is today is Christians are trying so hard to push their boundaries where they'll say, well, it never says in the Bible it's not a sin to drink, so I'm going to have a few, and they end up drunk, and you end up drinking more than you should. You end up going down that path. Now, one of the first questions I was asked here three years ago, interview process, question and answers before preaching, by the way. Next time, do it after. <laughs> there's, there's not going to be a next time, but here we go. The first question over here, what are your thoughts, blah, 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 drinking, this and that? So I, I want to give a biblical perspective. It never says that having a beer or wine, of course the disciples drank real wine, these things, but drunkenness has always been the sin. But you should know yourself well enough to know, I ought not be doing this. I've been drunk three times in my life. I never want to see that happen again. I never want to be the cause for anyone who becomes an alcoholic. I mean, I think about that a lot. I, I, I'm concerned about those things because I'm meeting more and more people. I want you to hear this. More and more people that had this, I want to have some private drinking on my own kind of a thing, but it's not getting better. In fact, if you ever get pulled, um, a police officer for years, if they pulled anybody that was uh, drinking and driving, they'd ask, well, how many have you had? The common answer was always just a couple. The problem is that a couple really is a case. I don't see people coming out of the store with just two beers. 
It's cases like this. I'm serious. that They don't want two beers after, with a burger. They want a whole case so they can get drunk. Now, I'm sharing something kind of personal here, but I was visiting with some friends. We were having dinner. They had planted a church years ago and ended up closing this church. As we were leaving, I looked over, and they had a, a table full of liquor. They had closed the church and opened a bar in their house. You think that gets better for people or worse? I don't meet people who begin drinking and drinking more and more and more. And there's, of course, there's always that one person that can have a beer once in a while. But the point is, is that this is leading to there's these fatal distractions. You don't have to have those things. We must be careful of where they lead and drunkenness and sin and destruction. I think relationships are issues today. Um, the people are in relationships with the wrong people. And we twist the scriptures for that one too. Well, Jesus was a friend to sinners. Yes, but he wasn't partying with them. He wasn't living in sin. He was a friend to them. He didn't follow their path. He called people to follow his path. And we need to be in relationships with godly people. Um, raise your hand if you know what TikTok is. If you don't, it's not the TikTok on a, a clock. It's actually a a divide, the thing, it's kind of like Instagram, where you not just take pictures and share pictures, but it's videos blowing up. Young people love it. I started seeing people post TikTok videos that were my age. And you would say, well, TikTok's not a thing, doing that, and it's not. But how you use it can be, if you're my age and shaking everything you got on a TikTok, that may be a problem. It's like you got people my age trying to be kids. It's a distraction. Here's the deal. These things that distract us, they, they seeming, they're seemingly innocent temptations, but they lead somewhere. James, the brother of Jesus, ends up being the pastor at a church in Jerusalem in the first century, and he writes about where sin leads, from temptation to sin. And he says this, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. So you have these desires inside, there's these external temptations then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. That means you've said yes. You have this desire. Temptation appears in front of you. You've said yes to it. It gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. So James is breaking it down for us. Where does this lead? It doesn't lead to better. It doesn't lead to life. And you might say, well, I know people who are in sin that aren't dead. They're dying, though. The path is death. If you ever want to see what this looks like, go to a high school reunion. Seriously, you'll see people 10 years out who've done nothing with their life, who are getting drunk. They gather together with people from school, and they're getting drunk. They look miserable, and there's people that are my age that I've seen that look 20 years older because it's leading to death. They've been dr drunk, drinking on drugs, just abusive lives away from God. It leads to death. The Apostle John says there is a sin that leads to death. The good thing is that God has given us a way to escape these things. But with the temptation, He will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. And we pray in the Lord's Prayer, the disciples' prayer, Lord, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And that doesn't mean God is leading you away from temptation. It means lead us not into it. Deliver us from this. And in that prayer, God allows a way to... We get to escape this. I think that's good that God has given us the escape plan from this. Two things I want you to see here. One, that God is not preventing us from facing temptation. We will all face it. It is common to man. All these temptations and distractions. 
We will all be tempted. We will all deal with fatal distractions. The second thing is that God, in His glorious decision and plan, has allowed for us to find the way out. Now, we can avoid the fatal distractions and live focused. On, and by living focused, we find ways out. The peripheral opens up when we're focused on the right things. The first thing I want to tell you to stay focused on is Christ and the Great Commission. That, that's what we are to focus on. Jesus Christ came to give life. Following Him opens up our eyes to see better. But the first thing here I actually have in the notes is uh, we need to start practicing to saying no. It is good, people, to say no to temptation. It is good to say no to things that would lure you away. It is healthy to say no to these things. And people will try to shame you when you do say no. It is good. Let them know that you're going to say no. So then they quit asking, and they quit tempting. It makes it much better. And a no to sin is a yes to God. The second thing is practicing saying yes to God. When is the last time that God has convicted you about something, pricked your heart, called you to something, and you said yes to it? Let's be a people that are saying yes to God each day, closer and closer to Him. Three, build Christian relationships. You're going to hear me keep pounding on this. Surround yourself with people that are chasing Jesus. Be a person that's leading people to Jesus. Be a person that's seeking other Christian relationships. You always have someone say, well, you're supposed to be friends with sinners and, and lead them to Jesus. The problem is we haven't learned to follow Jesus yet to even lead someone to Jesus. Follow Jesus for a while. Get into Christian community. I really think we should be in classes to learn other people's names so we can learn the things of God. And when you're strong enough, then start leading people to Jesus, your friends from your past. If you haven't already... Start a habit of prayer and reading Scripture daily. In fact, if you've never done this, start fasting. Say no to a meal or something that distracts you and focus on God for its season. Allow God to move mightily in your life. Prayer, reading Scripture, and fasting. Having a daily time with God. Billy Graham said years ago, if you do not have a daily time with God, you will fall away in 10 years. Now, how could he say that? He did ministry for decades. He watched it. The people that would not have that devotion time with God would eventually leave. Sixth thing I want you to see here, live Christ-like. We are called to be a holy people, not just people dragging around in the mud, but we're to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. He first loved us. We love Him. We are filled with the Holy Spirit. Church, we are born again. We have the nature of God. Let's live like our God. Last thing in this point, get involved in God's work. Find something to put your hands to. When you're busy about the work of God's kingdom, all the other things don't distract you as much anymore. They're not important to us anymore. John Wesley, who we were sharing where his mom explained sin, he wrote this, and this is the tagline. If you ever get an email from me, I have this at the end. Do all the good you can. By all the means you can, and all the ways you can, and all the places you can, and all the times you can, to all the people you can, as long as you ever can. It means get involved in ministry and, and be involved in doing good at all times that you can. This helps us remain focused on the right things. When you do this, it makes it so much easier to avoid the fatal distractions and focus on the main attraction, which is Christ. Church, our goal as Christ followers should be to increase our faith and devotion in Christ. I'm going to ask um, Jay to come at this time, and I'm going to open up a time of prayer in a moment and just to seek God and do business with Him. Um, but the easiest way to deal with any of this 
is found in knowing where you are going and who you are pursuing. It makes it easier for me as a man of God, as a father, as a husband, uh, as a pastor. It makes it easier to say no to the things around me because I can focus on the right person and the path he has called me to. Now, raise your hand if you recognize the name Charles Litwidge Dodgson. No? You might recognize his name as Lewis Carroll, his pen name. He is the writer of Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. Now, many of you may recognize the story, the book, the movie, not necessarily the name. But a lot of people don't know that the author was an ordained deacon in the Church of England. He was a committed Christ follower. He would deal with, uh, he was a logician, he was a mathematical, in, uh, mathematical logic. He dealt with inductive reasoning. The reason he wrote Alice in Wonderland, if you will, was to show absurdity. He was pointing these things out to us. People fell in love with it. The point was, where is reason and logic? This is all absurd. Now, there's a moment in the movie, if you've seen it, and actually in the book, I'm going to read and quote the book, where Alice is in Wonderland, it's nuts, and she's trying to find her way, and Cheshire Cat appears. And they have this conversation, and I want to share it with you today. She says, will you um, tell me, please, which way I ought to go from here? That depends a good deal on where you want to get to, said the cat. I don't much care where, said Alice. Then it doesn't matter which way you go, said the cat. So long as I get somewhere, Alice added as an explanation. Oh, you're sure to do that, said the cat, if you only walk long enough. The point is, is that why ask directions if you don't know where you're going? If you don't know where you're going, then it doesn't matter which way you go. And eventually, going the way, any way that you go is going to get somewhere, but it won't be to the place that you've chosen or supposed to go. Christ is calling us to follow Him. Our, we focus on Christ, and all the distractions won't be there as much. And we're led down His path. So I want to share just a little bit more here. A friend was talking with uh, Lewis Carroll, and he wrote a letter and responded. I just want you to hear this guy. You just, you read books, you don't realize the people behind the books. And he, he writes this, Most assuredly, I accept to the full of the doctrines you refer to, that Christ died to save us, that we have no other way of salvation open to us but through his death, and that it is by faith in him and through no merit of our own that we are reconciled to God. And most assuredly, I can cordially say, I owe all to him who loves me and died on the cross of Calvary. The point here is that he knew in life the right direction. And we should know as well as Christians, we know which way we need to go, but we need to commit to it and cut away from the things that would pull us away. And church, if you would, we're going to open the altars if you want to come and pray and do business with God. If you would, just close your eyes and enter into a spirit of prayer. And you can come and, and pray.